Well, good morning, family. Good morning. It is such an honor to be back with you guys. I think it's been almost a year since I had the pleasure of being with you all. And as Pastor Rob said, we're considered family. So you guys are my long lost cousins and it's so nice. It just feels like a big family reunion every time I am here at Browncroft. So over the last month, you guys have been in a series on identity where we're saying created for, and you guys have been walked through what it means to create God or to be created for influence, to be created for work and to be created for rest. And I seen that you guys had someone that was up here planking uh, while he was talking about being created for rest which I've never put the two together. Um, but you guys have had some powerful speaking and teaching um, to help wrap up your understanding and bring into an understanding of what you were created for. And just a minute ago, you guys seen a video that made just such powerful declarations. It says that you are designed, you were created, but not just to exist, that you were created by an intentional God with purpose. With his fingerprint on every cell, you were created to experience a life far beyond what you can imagine. This is such a powerful declaration. Now, I want you just to raise your hand if you truly believe every single word in that declaration. I'm struggling too, but I'm, I'm coming into an understanding of who God is and who he's created me to be. And today I can raise my hand tomorrow. I don't know that I will believe everything because there are times that we struggle with our identity. We struggle to trust that God made us perfectly. Not perfect. We're not perfect people. But God made us perfectly. No mistakes no mishaps, no shortcuts. He made us perfectly. In order to believe every single word and to live out this truth, it takes a deep, unwavering, unshakable trust in God. To trust God is to believe his word and to respond to his word. Not just to believe it, but to live our lives responding to his word. So today we're going to focus on being created for trust. Trusting God can be simplified by just giving him a yes, saying that's what trusting God means. It means to give him a yes. Uh, we give him a, an, our answer is yes when it's easy, uh, when it's difficult. We say yes when we know where he is sending us. We say yes when we have no idea about where we are headed. We say yes when we understand, and we also say yes when we are completely and utterly confused. When we trust God, our answer is always yes. But let's be honest, trusting God and trusting that God knows more about us than us is sometimes very difficult. I sometimes struggle with thinking that I have such an accurate depiction of who I am, even more so than my creator. I find myself sometimes debating with God about how he's created me, what he's made me to do, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are. And I find myself always realizing this is probably a debate that I'm never going to win. Because I am arguing with the creator about his creation. God himself has landed me in a place 
where I have no other choice but to trust him. Every single time I decide to trust God, it lands me in a place where I am filled with so much peace and so much joy and so much favor. But on the contrary, I realize that when I don't listen to him, I find myself so confused and in situations that were very much preventable. The beginning of trusting God is knowing that he made us perfectly. So let's, let's dive into some scripture. I want to I dive into Judges chapter 6 today. This is a story that begins with Gideon, and he's hiding from the Midianites, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. All right, so just in case you don't know, you guys, this is really weird and embarrassing, kind of humiliating, and I would say even, even more so, it, it's cowardly, to say the least. Uh, what, what happens is wheat is typically threshed on a hillside, on the, on the hilltop for everyone to see. And so what Gideon is doing is he's trying to be productive underground while hiding. How many of us can say that's us trying to be productive while remaining unseen? That's me, right? Like, I just want to, I'll do everything you tell me to do, God, but just do not give me a microphone. Trying to be productive while remaining unseen. This is Gideon. So let's start at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all of these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, I want to briefly highlight a few things that I think are very important to note before I go into my five points today. The first thing is that while, while, while Gideon is hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press, he is visited by the angel of the Lord. This is no temporary, just angel. This is Jesus. He is visited by Jesus who greets him by saying, greetings, mighty warrior. Now, I don't know about you guys, but he says, greetings, mighty warriors. This tells us that our actions do not always line up with who he's created us to be. In the moment that Gideon was really doing something very cowardly, he was hiding. He was greeted by God himself by calling him a mighty warrior. That means that we don't have to always be doing what it is that God has called us to do for us to be who he has called us to be. The second thing is that Gideon struggled to trust God because he was not experiencing the miracles that everyone was speaking about. He felt like God had forsaken Israel. So he struggled to trust God because of what he was seeing with his natural eyes would look like they were being defeated. 
Gideon had everything that he needed. This is the third thing. Gideon had everything that he needed within him to be the mighty warrior that God seen him to be. This is why God comes to him. He says, go in this might of yours. Now, if I was Gideon, I would have said, well, Lord, do you have some type of training for me to become this warrior that you've called me to be? Don't you have some type of logical process to building me, to developing me, to making me better? But that's not what God said. He came to him and said, you already are a warrior. Now go in this might of yours. Today, God is telling us, go with what you have. Stop waiting around for me to give you more or make you better. Go with what you have. Go with the finances that you have. Go with the strength that you have. Go with the fear that you have. Go with what you have you have. And the fourth is Gideon's confidence did not come from his might, but from the fact, the promise that God said that he would be with him. I love this. Gideon is saying, God, I don't agree with you at all. I don't think that I'm mighty. Matter of fact, I am the, the, I'm from the weakest tribe. And then not only am I from the weakest tribe, I'm the weakest in the weakest tribe. I don't agree with you, but if you promise to come with me, I will have confidence in that. So when I think of this story of Gideon, it takes me back to my life in 2013. I had just purchased a condo in Tulsa, and I was very happy with my life. I I was comfortable. I had a job I loved. I had friends that I really enjoyed being around. I was in graduate school. I was connected to a life-giving church, and I was enjoying my life. And I was in prayer one morning, and it was in June, right before heading to Brazil for a missions trip. And the Lord said to me, in August, you're going to start a girl's home. I'm like, it's June. In August, I'm going to do what? And so I remember thinking and being extremely confused about this. And even a piece of me thought that maybe I had heard God wrong. Maybe that was me talking. Maybe that was just my own internal desire. Maybe that's what I wanted to happen. And so I remember going to Brazil and I spent a month there and lived in an orphanage and was spending time ministering and the entire time I was in Brazil the Lord would awaken me at extremely early hours and I would just weep because I felt like oh my god my life is going to be so much different when I get back to the states but I have no idea what this is going to look like I have $500 that I've raised for this girl's home that's in my heart. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not starting a girl's home with $500. I just bought a condo. Why would I move out of this? I come back. I tell my roommate, it's July now. I said, hey, next month, um, I'm leaving. I'm starting a girl's home, so I'm going to put this up for rent. You're probably going to have to find somewhere to stay. (laughs) She's like, oh, great. Okay, well, where's the girl's home at? I said, I don't know. (laughs) But I have 30 days to figure it out. So I start calling people. I called this gentleman and he owned about 13 different properties. And I said, hey, so the Lord said that I am going to um, be starting a girl's home. So I I just want to know, are any of your properties available? He said, no, they're all long-term lease and nobody ever breaks their lease. Seven o'clock that night, he calls me back. He said, hey, guess what? I said, what? He said, somebody's breaking their lease and they have to be out August 1st. I said, well, can you just, can you just send me the address? Now, I just want you guys to, just, just because I don't think I mentioned this, when I was in Brazil, the Lord had me studying the book of Joshua. 
Be strong and courageous for everywhere that your step foot, I'm going to give you that as inheritance. Be strong and courageous. So I said, hey, well, just send me the address real quick. I want to see where this is at. It was 3655 South Joshua Avenue. I said, well, Lord, if I had asked for a sign, I guess this is it. By August, I moved into that home and started fostering teenage girls in the foster care system. So anytime I struggle to trust God for my life, I'm always taken back to Joshua Avenue, where I literally resided in the promise of God. So today I want to give you five points to understanding the process of trusting God and how we can strengthen our trust in him. The first point today is the trustworthiness of God is at the center of every attack from the enemy. The first attack against the human heart was an attack on our trust in God. From Genesis to Revelation, the Lord has been trying to restore us back to a place of restoration and trust in him. And from Genesis to Revelation today, to all the way to today, the enemy has been working to convince us that God is not worth trusting. Some of the greatest heroes of faith, Moses, Joshua, and we're reading about Gideon, only needed one promise from God and to move confidently into their futures, and it was that God was going to be with them. This means that they needed to know that God was not going to withhold himself from them. They weren't worried about, God, do I have provision? Am I going to be able to do? All I need to know is that you're going with me. Just don't withhold yourself from me. Every attack the enemy throws at us is an attempt to get us to distrust God and his plans for our life. And why is this so dangerous? One, because you can never fully love someone you don't trust. Two, because trust is at the very center of, a, of every healthy and fruitful relationship. And three, because intimacy requires trust. You cannot be fully in love, giving yourself over to someone that you do not trust will know what to do or how to respond to your love, to your vulnerability, to your transparency, to your flaws. And so to have the type of intimate relationship that we all so much, very des we, we desire this intimacy with God. It begins with us saying, God, I trust you. I trust that you know what to do with me. I, I trust that you know how to handle my heart. I trust that you know how to heal my heart. I trust you. And so the enemy knows that the trustworthiness of God is really all that we need to live a life of obedience and a life of radical submission to God. So when he attacks our lives, he, we might feel like he's attacking our family or we might feel like the attack is against our children or against our careers or against our identity. But at the center of every real attack is he's trying to get you to distrust God. I actually really want for when the enemy sees me when he hears me, when I wake up in the morning, I want him to, to see me as dangerous. We are dangerous when we choose to trust God. I want for the enemy to see Ashley cross and say, you know what? She's always going to trust God. Regardless of what I throw her way, she is going to trust God. 
The second point is that when we fail to trust God, well, no, I'm sorry. We fail to trust God when we become too concerned about ourselves. Trusting God is always about denial. It's about self-denial. It's about denying what we believe, what we want, and what we think we deserve. And anytime we do not trust God, we're choosing ourselves over him. I love the way Dennis Kinlaw says it. He says, and behind the shift from trust and communion to suspicion and separation was an overriding concern for themselves. Like Adam and Eve, we all have this tendency to make ourselves the center of importance. That's what Eve did. That's why she ate the fruit. Because the enemy convinced her that she would be more like God if she did. But here's the caveat. Whose image are we made in? God. She was already like God. She already had aspects of God's characteristics in her. Adam and Eve, they introduced us to this self-centeredness and Gideon carried it on with this, with this nonsense of thinking that God's plans somehow revolve around how we feel about ourselves. He doesn't care what we think about ourselves because it doesn't have to line up with what he thinks because his truth is always greater than our truth. So when God comes to Gideon, he says, he, Gideon becomes so obsessed with himself. God calls him mighty man of the Lord. And he says, do you, who, who are you talking to? First of all, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. You come to me talking to me like I'm this warrior. So let me remind you about who I am, Jesus. I come from the weakest tribe and I'm the weakest in the weakest tribe. And I don't trust myself. That's really what Gideon was saying. I don't trust that I have the ability to carry out what it is that you're calling me to do. But here's the good thing, you guys. You don't have to trust yourself. Just put your trust in God. I don't know about you, but I do not trust myself. I'm human. I have flaws. I misjudge people. I misjudge situations. I don't always see clearly. But I do know that if I just... Say, hey, you know, my will is much less perfect than God's. God, I trust what you say about me. I trust where you want me to go. That will always lead me in the right direction. The third point is that we trust God with our hearts, not with our minds. This is difficult for me because I am one of those over-analytical things. Like, I think about everything all the time. Like, by the time I leave here, I'm probably going to think about, did that land right? Did I say this? When I said this, did they, did they receive that? Like, I'm one of those people. I pick apart everything that I say and I do. And sometimes I find myself picking apart what everyone else says or does. And that carries over sometimes into my relationship with God where I start to pick apart what God says. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not with all of your mind. Trust in him with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trusting in God does not believe, uh, trusting in God does not mean that you agree with him. It means that you know regardless of your thoughts 
that his plans are perfect. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about God's perfect plan. Perfect does not mean painless. It doesn't mean easy. It doesn't mean financially beneficial. It doesn't mean comfortable, popular, or even logical. God's perfect plan means that he knows the very beginning through the end and that the end is to your benefit. The reason we do not lean on our own understanding is because our understanding is limited. It's very limited. Our hearts actually go beyond understanding because our hearts are redeemed. I want to say that again. Our hearts go beyond understanding because our hearts are redeemed. This is why we say that Jesus sits on the throne of our hearts. Because that is what we give him at the very moment of salvation. We give him, we give him our hearts. We ask that he resides in our hearts, meaning that he claims lordship over our lives. So oftentimes our minds are trying to play catch up with what our hearts already know. Our hearts know that God is worth trusting. But it's when we sit down with our journal and our friends that we, we start to talk to and our, and our spouses and we look at the news and we turn on Facebook. And, to, and that's when our minds start to pull the pieces together and say, maybe he's not worth trusting. And then our hearts are saying, uh-uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. He's faithful. I've learned how to pray the, the prayer of indifference, which anchors me in the belief that God knows best and it's best for me not to have a preference. Do you guys know how hard that is to not have a preference? I have preferences about everything, ask my husband. But when I come to God, I've learned to lay down my preferences and come to him indifferent. The prayer of indifference may sound something like this. It say, Father, you know all things. I ask that in this situation that you give me the strength and the courage to accept the direction in which you choose. Father, I trust that in this situation and in every situation, you have my best interest in mind. You made me, which means that you know what I need and what I can handle. I go in without my mind already made up about what I want God to do. Why? Because I trust whatever outcome he chooses is for my benefit. The fourth point, when we lack trust in God, we take dangerous shortcuts. When we trust God, we let him do all of the making. We trust that in every situation that he is making us. We trust that every direction he gives us, he's making us. We trust that in every failed relationship, he is making us. We trust that, this, we trust that everything that God throws at us or that the enemy throws at us, that God uses it to make us. Trusting God means that we understand that God does not waste anything in our story. God does not waste anything in our story. This truth is actually the truth that anchors us in hope. It's impossible to have hope without knowing and believing that God does not waste anything in our story. Even during the hardest times, I can get up and still trust God 
because I know that he doesn't waste anything. This means that he uses everything for my good. Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, and I won't read it, but it promises us that if we wait, which means not to start making things up, that's what it means to wait on God. It means, hey, hey, don't start messing stuff up. Like if I was God, I'd be like, hey, please stop touching that. Like, don't. Every time your human hands touch it, you start messing stuff up. Just, just leave it to me. I've already made it perfectly. I've already made you perfect. Stop, stop touching stuff. Stop trying to tweak your identity. Stop telling me who you are. Stop, stop trying to take all of these shortcuts. Because every time you take a shortcut, you come and you start twisting and turning things that I already made perfect. Just please keep your human hands off of my beautiful creation. We start taking shortcuts. But he says, just wait. Just wait. Don't carve out your own plans. Don't start adding or taking away. Just wait. And when you wait, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to dust you off. And then I'm going to steady your feet during the journey. That's a promise of God. The promise of God is that we don't have to fumble through life wondering who we are. If we just wait for him, he's going to give us all the pieces to make sure that we have what we need for this journey. And my fifth and final point, which is actually my favorite point, is God is worth trusting because he cannot sin against us. Wow. He cannot sin against us. Here's the thing, and I really don't mean to oversimplify it, but God cannot make a mistake. He cannot lie. He cannot fumble you. So who's better to trust? Who better to trust? He can't sin against you. Every other human in your life will sin against you at some point. Even those who love you deeply, they will sin against you. They'll come back, they'll repent, they will apologize. But God is actually incapable of sinning against you. Trusting God can be hard because we cannot see him or have direct conversations with him sometimes. Sometimes it's easier to trust the doctors that we can sit and talk to. It's easier to trust our friends who can show up to your house unannounced and talk to you. It's easier to trust our idols sometimes because we can feel them. With our five senses, we can experience them. So sometimes the things in our lives that are really idols and those temptations, they seem more powerful than God because we can experience them with our five senses. 